0: So welcome, everybody, to episode 140 today of Level Up. Who would have thought it? 60 minutes of live Q&A where your questions really do drive the show. We have online our social team, Adriana and Ella. They're over there in the chat. So please do introduce yourselves to them. Let them know your name, please, and the city from where you're joining. They are going to post links into the chat for you to vote up the questions that you would most like answered. And, of course, for you to be able to add your own. Now then, um, if your question is selected then your name's going to appear in the credits at the end of the show. So do get your questions in early and stay with us to see all of that taking place. Today, we're going to be asking questions around careers in the field of public-private partnerships. And I think it's fair to say that APMG has been at the epicentre of building competency and capability around the world in what good looks like for more than 10 years now. And I'm delighted to be rejoined today by some experts who make up our panel and really help us to explore the topic. So let's jump in and... Um meet them again because there's some familiar faces to you all. Um, Let me begin with um, Abaya. Abaya Agarwal is uh, the partner for Strategy and Transactions over with EY in India, where he has developed a number of marquee infrastructure projects across many countries, including things like water supply and sanitation and so on, health education, to name but a few. He's an accomplished advisor with a really strong track record. So welcome back to the panel, Abaya. Really lovely to see you again. Uh, Unfortunately, though, we can't hear you. So I I think you may be um, on mute at the moment. It can happen from time to time. Okay, so we'll come back to Abeya in a moment um, and we'll move on. um Ekinem is Managing Consultant with Weir Capacity over in Nigeria, who focuses on ensuring that their clients receive the very best advice and counsel. Um, with a growing client list, the team is growing quickly whilst maintaining their core values of excellence in everything that they do. Welcome back to Level Up, Nianantso. Lovely to see you again.
1: Thank you very much, Nick, and good to be back here. Um, hoping that we'll have a very interesting session. Uh, PPP, PPP has gone around the world. It's something people are you know, gearing up to, and so some people want to be specialists, so this session should be very
0: interesting. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining today. Um, Sergei Samalis is, of course, the CEO over at PPP Expertise Eurasia, who are an independent provider of consulting and training services in public-private partnerships. With a background himself in PPPs and project finance in particular, uh, Sergei and his team elevate their client capability through their service delivery. So welcome back. Lovely to see you again as well, Sergei. Great to see you.
2: Hello, Nick. <clears throat> Great to see you. Great to, uh, to see everyone of the panellists. looking forward to, to the show.
0: Okay, excellent. Thank you very much indeed. Um, uh, Amandeep, Amandeep Singh Virk, of course, is a leading international PPP transaction advisor himself, who's currently working over at the World Bank um, with a passion, I think it's fair to say, I, I hope, for sustainable development. Um, Amandeep champions a pro-people approach um, to PPP interventions and welcome back to the panel Deep. it's like old times this friendship group has come back again which is really lovely to see how are you?
3: Very good thank you thank you Nick and pleased to be back on this episode hope to have a good uh, session on this PPPs thank you.
0: All right okay very good so let's just try um, Abaya's, um microphone one more time um, can you hear us now and I'm hoping that we can hear you. And uh, we can't. Okay. All right. Well, we'll try and fix that in the background um, while we move on. Completing our in-camera team for today is our question master, who is um, Charlotte, I think, and she is joining from uh, a different part of the UK today. So I don't recognise your background today, Charlotte. So whereabouts in the world are you?
4: So I'm joining from Yorkshire and the sort of north of, of England. Uh, The sun is shining, skies are blue, so I cannot ask for anything more.
0: Okay. All right. Okay. Um, Very good indeed. Well, on that note, I can see that we already have quite a lot of activity, lots of people joining over on social media, so we're going to reference them in a few minutes. But let's jump straight into it, if we can do, and we'll take our first question for the panel.
4: Thanks Nick. So the first question is from Eo Um what is the role of a public private partnership in building sustainable public investment in developing countries?
0: Okay. So we've we've started off straight away the role around sustainability. Uh, Amade, brilliant. Yeah, if you could start us off on this this would be excellent. Thank you.
3: Yeah, so PPP is it has a very great role in uh, sustainable development. If you see, the PPP has uh, four stages: first, right from the you know creating a regulatory framework, identifying the right project, and then structuring it, taking it to the transaction, and then manage it. But at each and every stage, uh, we can fix or we can uh, support the sustainability infrastructure right from the regulatory. If regulations are there to look at the climate change aspects, et cetera. That helps a lot. Then moving to, for example, identify the project. So identification of project is very, very important. And there itself, sustainable uh, public investment uh, is, can be looked at, and there are tools. For example, World Bank has created a tool, PSET tool, PPP screening tool, that, that tool will help in identify the sustainable projects. And then when structuring, what kind of investment, how to take care of the uh, sustainable aspects, both environment and climate, and then uh, financing. From the financing part, we know every these days, uh, financing PPP or project is very difficult if project is not sustainable, or it's, it's emitting some GHG uh, emissions. So it's very difficult to sustain. So that's where the whole world is coming uh, to help sustainable so that PPP has a great role in building sustainable infrastructures in all over the world, not only the developing countries. Thank
0: you. I, th- I think you're right. It's quite interesting as well, isn't it, how sustainability at one time, you know, not so long ago, was at the periphery of taking decisions for investment and increasingly i see sustainability coming into the center ground more more embedded if you like in that decision making process and amandeep is that something that you're witnessing as well or is it just my non-expert perception Are, are the spin doctors managing my perception better perhaps
3: no, Nick, you're absolutely right. So that's the reason I why I why, why, why I was explaining each stage, that each stage, right from the multilateral development banks to the lenders, to the governments, are focusing on sustainable development. For example, the last phase of the project, PP, which is contract management. Now that is always a uh, you know, have a backseat within the governments, especially from the you know sustainability point of view. Now the government, especially the MDBs, Multilateral Development Banks, uh, I'm a part of the team of the World Bank. We have created an, a new tool, contract management tool, having focus purely on climate and uh, sustainability of the projects so that the, when you manage the contract and the PPP, it, it takes care of the sustainability. So you're absolutely right. It's, the focus is, is quite right now at the moment at, at every stage from every corner.
0: Okay. All right. Thank you very much indeed. Um, It it is fascinating to kind of see that transformational journey kind of happening in front of us. Very good. Um, So let's go back to the panel then, and we're going to move on and we'll take our next question while we're doing a little bit of uh, troubleshooting to remove some of the technical gremlins. Um, Charlotte, if you can do, let's take our second question to the panel now.
4: Thanks, Nick. We've got a question from Theo Papadopoulos. Is it true that most countries do not have sufficient transaction advisory or public-private partnerships, contract management, capacitated professionals?
0: You know, it, it, getting this capability and capacity right, and I suppose capability is that blend of skills, knowledge, but also you know, the capacity to be able to execute is such an important thing. And um, Niananso, what's your experience? Is, are we still trying to skill up, staff up and, and kind of build up? So we'll hear from you and then we'll go to Amandeep.
1: Okay, so um, point blank, uh, PPP is, is something new in quite a number of environments. So in terms of understanding uh, the concept and practice of public-private partnership, It is true that a number of countries do not have uh, the capacity, and that's why the APMG program, uh, CP3P certification program, is quite uh, important for for countries to adapt and also get people on that um, curriculum so they can understand the process, but also um, in-depth appreciation of uh, uh, PPPs using that certification program. Now, beyond just transaction, uh, contract management has been mentioned earlier, but also is the most important aspect for PPPs because that's where value is actually delivered. So you can have a very good transaction where you close out and everybody starts working, but that's when you really need a strong team to manage the contract because at contract management stage is where you achieve value, where you can actually achieve uh, what was expected in terms of delivering the services and also meeting the service levels that was agreed with all parties. So that is true. Some countries are struggling in terms of capacity, but well, a number of countries are actually building capacity right now, but not just uh, the, the, the human knowledge, but institutional capacity to be able to by using mm. tools and processes that will put them on the right track to do to manage contracts. Thank you.
0: Yeah, and it, it, it's it's often the case, isn't it, where to achieve that kind of capability, you know, to move up that sort of um, scale of the ability to execute it's not just human resource it's also those processes and that value chain and being able to get the governance and the management and all of that lifted up together kind of thing so i think you're absolutely right very good Um, thank you so much um let's go to amandeep next and then we'll hear from Sergey.
3: yeah so absolutely so basically we all know pvp is a complex animal right so most of the developing world is you know not having sufficient uh, capacity both in structuring the projects and how taking the project at different phase so one thing we all the guys who are getting into PPPs need to understand ppp is not a miracle it's a simply another tool of procuring an infrastructure asset or service right so now it can do wonders only and only if at each and every stage right from identifying the good project to contract management every stage we do right thing so that's where the expertise comes into that's where and it becomes more complex because it's a it's done through project financing rather than the corporate financing so it it becomes more complex so that's the reason capacity building both at the government level at the private sector consultant level that need to be and when it touched the contract management both developed and developing world are lacking. Uh, It's it's very difficult. We build the infrastructure and then the contract management is always taken backstage, which which need to be taken care of uh, while we do
0: the PPPs. Yeah, thank you very much indeed. It's so important, isn't it, that it's a baton which is passed along that value chain and not simply, you know, we're refining this sector or, or, or section or phase, if you like, but we don't have that capability to continue um, the good work. Um, Sergei, so, your thoughts, please, and then we'll hear from Abaya.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure if I have any data on how complete um, individual countries are with um, Transaction advisory capacity. What we see a lot in the developing uh, economies that we work with, in, <clears throat> there's a, usually a deficit of uh, PPP professionals. But I could think of, let's say, UK where I am. Probably there's much more um, transaction advisors than PPP projects uh, uh, at hmm. the moment. So there is probably abundance of uh, of experience in the UK. But due to the large size of of the PPP deals, very often they are international. So it's quite rare, I would say, that a PPP deal would only um, be covered by local uh, experts, even if expertise is abundant. Your investors may be international, your consultants could be uh, transnational companies. And I really um, like the second element of this question as well. Uh, In terms of contract management as a phase, it is sometimes underestimated and um, the importance of this phase. And we see a lot of um, transactions in um, the developing countries when um, public authority would have support of international financial institutions, very good transaction teams, helping take develop the project, take it to procurement, to commercial financial close. That's where the, their mandate typically ends. And then there is the public sector team with its capacity to manage the contract. And that's where sometimes the bottleneck is. And that's... Um, some of the countries that we were operating, they realized that and they are trying to upgrade their capacity at the uh, contract management
0: phase. Yeah, I agree with that because the, you know, and it's actually part of the attraction, I think, of working in the space. You know, few people um, set out to become a PPP specialist from uh, leaving university. Most people are coming into it because they get, start to gain some experience. They're interested in better outcomes for citizens. They're interested in better projects. They're interested in you know, better legal frameworks, um, better contracts, better finance um, instruments, and so on. So all of these things kind of bring talent into a core team and that talent can be sourced from all over the world um so it's a really really important i think dynamic (laughs) ironically (laughs) that perhaps it's you're better off in a way if there are some key gaps and you fulfill those gaps by having people from outside of your immediate geography but at the same time if there's too much of a gulf you can feel disenfranchised somehow, I think, sometimes. Um, so it's a balance, very good. Thank you so much indeed, Sergei. Um Abeya, I'm hoping now that uh, we can hear you clearly. What are your thoughts on the um, uh, capacity to be able to execute?
5: So I, I think a lot of things have been added on that issue, but uh, one very important thing is what we saw uh, in terms of statistics is lot, about eight to 10 years overall number of PPPs are stagnant not really moving so the demand for professional also has to be seen in that uh, light and second thing is that the developed countries are having more PPPs within those stagnant number and underdeveloped countries or developing countries are actually reducing number of PPPs so this dimension if you see I think uh, there is a issue that definitely, in terms of developing countries, will have more severe problems of capacity and professionals because demands are also not there so uh, and and people respond to the demand so this is another dimension which I just wanted to add.
0: All right. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you so much, panel. Oh, What a great question. Um, Our second question, we've had two really fascinating questions, actually, to kind of start us off. So thank you so much, um, Theo. Now then, I'm just going to refer over to our social feed um, that we have uh, kind of running at the moment um, and pick out some names and faces uh, that we have heard from previously. Uh, Joe, welcome um, to you. Uh, You're joining from London, so really good um, to have you on the call, and uh, Nafis Nassar Nasir rather, um, who's joining, I can't quite pick out where you are joining from, actually, Nafis, so it would be really great if you could update um, the social chat with just the city of your location we don't we don't need your um you know your absolute location if you like. Uh, Andrew is online as well. Thank you so much, Andrew from Kenya. really good to have you on board today, my friend, and I know a regular contributor from our audience so thank you very much indeed um andrew and um i think also we can hear oh stephen Brentel as well from apmg of course and a regular panelist on level up is joining us from um the city of Vals. i think it's a city anyway um in the southern area of the netherlands today and of course roy is um joining us from nigeria uh, from from Meduguri. Um, in Nigeria specifically so really good to have you online um, as well so we're looking forward to you guys who are out there online in the audience putting in your questions just type them into the social chat we'll pick them up from there um, Adriana and Ella will and they'll bring them into um, the show and put them to the panel for you in the meantime Charlotte let's press on if we can and we'll take our next question please
4: thanks Nick I think we've this is a question from a previous panelist Falco Werner how much is public-private partnership used in different parts of the world?
0: Well, um, Falco, yeah, he's quite an interesting character and he's been on a number of the Level Up shows. So he's very good at constructing a question which on the one hand sounds very straightforward and then we start thinking about it and you think, okay, well, you know, how long is a piece of string? Amandeep, start us off and then we'll hear from Abea. Yeah,
3: the we answer is everywhere in the world. Every country is looking for PPP. So every you know, developed world has a different uh, incentive and the developing world has a different incentive to do PPPs. So developing world do because of the constraint in resources, developed world do to get innovation, to get you know, performance, et cetera. Although developing world also, but main motivation is the constraints in resources. So every country, so, you know, even uh, there are most of the countries who has framework in place, PPP framework, right? And there are countries who are, many countries who are currently preparing uh, the uh, PPP framework to take it through. So because that's the only way uh, economies see how to grow, how to develop, otherwise the current resources cannot be leveraged. So PPP is the one which can leverage the, whatever the minimum resources or the limited resources our country do have. Thank you.
0: All right. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, Abaya.
3: Yeah, so
5: <clears throat> while I agree with Amandeep in terms of uh, PPPs used across the world and all the countries, but I think if you see many countries who do not have very developed uh, framework And organizational structure in terms of handling PPPs or even developed thinking, etc. I think there is more discussions and announcements than real PPPs which are happening. Developed countries, on the other hand, uh, they are doing more performance-based and uh, PPPs. And uh, so uh, the phase where they were actually not doing PPPs over, they have started doing a lot of PPPs again. But countries like India or Bangladesh or Pakistan, I think the focus of World Bank and ADB and also the countries to focus on more quick uh, uh, wins in terms of health, education, uh, agriculture, warehousing, which is not very high in investment and where services are very important. So Mm. uh, this is a good shift, but I will not say that in terms of investment, there is substantial investment which is coming from uh, PPPs in developing countries, and uh, it's but it's about using services of private sector.
0: Okay, all right, thank you very much indeed. I do think that um, you know we tend to, as non-specialists, we tend to notice infrastructure uh, public-private partnerships perhaps um, a little bit more readily than the service-led ones, and yet the service-led ones change outcome for citizens potentially at a faster rate you know or they can impact a larger community of people perhaps so they might not have the flagship moment of cutting the ribbon and you know kind of being the first person to drive across the new very beautiful bridge or to ride the railway train at high speed or you know whatever it happens to be or to have the new electricity plant generating and you know switching on you know new power capability but nonetheless they they do influence people's lives and they make a real difference so service-led public-private partnerships are a fascinating area, I think, you know to be able to deliver those better outcomes um, and uh, to also, importantly, of course, meet the needs of both the private investors, um, the partners who are shaping them and delivering uh, those projects, and uh, indeed the government sponsors um, who are involved as well. So very good, very interesting. Thank you so much. Um, Charlotte, if we can, let's move on. We'll take our next question, please.
4: Thanks, Nick. Um, The next question from, excuse the pronunciation, Eno Obong Sampson. Is the concept of a public-private partnership applicable in other sectors besides infrastructure? If yes, please could you give an example of a sector and how it can be applied?
0: Uh, I, I honestly want to tell everybody that's watching, I don't see the order of the questions. All right. None of the panel actually do. The question order is being chosen by the question master, who is today's shot. At, so I didn't see this one coming next. So, okay. Well, thank you very much. Uh, you know, um, so great question. What are these other Kind of sectors then beyond infrastructure so i've mentioned some um you know kind of hinting i suppose at healthcare care and you know the primary health care particularly um about you've worked in many different um ppps um bring to life a couple of them for us
5: yeah some telehealth you know i mean vast countries where pe- people live in villages they don't have access to large hospitals uh what india has been able to do is to have a backup office where a lot of doctors are there and you have remote locations where there is uh, may not be proper doctor but a certified uh, physician who can uh, take uh, all the vitals through uh, you know telemedicine etc convey it on the on the phone or through the uh, you know digital media to the backup office where they can see and they can also prescribe either medicines or to the next level where he should go. Tremendous benefit, tremendous services being delivered to the bottom of the people. Same thing is vaccine development, vaccine distribution. uh, In terms of uh, uh, agriculture, you are talking about silos to be built on PPPs, uh, where um, private sector also goes out, buys the wheat or rice or other things and stores it and then release it in the non-peak season so that the volumes can be stabilized and the price can be stabilized. So there are examples and examples. Uh, schools, you have enough in UK and Australia, but they are performance-based. But there are also schools where the private sector actually takes over existing schools and then delivers a better outcome. Or uses the existing teacher uh, in the same school and trains them and get the better result out of the students. So I think the focus is how to use existing infrastructure, existing manpower first and deliver better outcomes and then go out and maybe build infrastructure also and then give services. So in terms of ROI, it's tremendous.
0: Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, thank you, and we'll come back to considering kind of value and that return um, in a little while. Uh, Nienanto, your thoughts on this, please.
1: So, so that's a very interesting question. Uh, But I think we need to understand that um, infrastructure is at the foundation of service. So whether it's a public service or a private service, infrastructure is at the foundation, and so we can come up with either health services or education services that. Um, don't require huge infrastructure because technology has actually changed the game in terms of delivering services. So for instance, where I've seen a PPP that doesn't require building an asset, maybe a school, but a private entity is working with the government to provide um, lessons through um, internet for students. And so all the students need is just a computer to connect to these lesson models and they're getting all the students, you know, through their, all their curriculum. And so the private entity is also, you know, building the assessment program and these students can be scored and they can pass the exams all done using technology and no school build and nothing built. So no infrastructure, but the foundation of that process happening has to be the fiber optics, you know, or the internet service that you have access to. Right. So there's infrastructure somewhere, but uh, whether it's telemedicine or everything, it it has to be based on an infrastructure foundational you know, support, uh, but uh, with technology, things have changed significantly. Where you can deliver services without having to build the asset side, and let's not also forget there is the um, infrastructure PPP, but also the service PPP. The service PPP is where I think the question is mainly around. You don't have to build infrastructure; you can actually come in to deliver service PPPs on an existing infrastructure and um, to deliver service and meeting them expected value for the public. Thank you.
0: Okay, thank you very much indeed. Um, Sergei, final thoughts on this one?
2: Yeah, the way I read this question from Inouar Bong, I, I probably take a bit different perspective. I I thought the question is after not comparing the asset versus service, or, but looking at the sectors. So if in EPPs can Um, go beyond transport infrastructure and social infrastructure, which are typically where PPPs are used. And um, yes, we do see a lot of uh, projects in in the geographies that are familiar to us, in in agriculture, sometimes in in industry, um, machine building, uh, and um, some other areas which are not typically, not not your transport or social infrastructure or, or service. And um, in some of the countries, like um, some of the Central Asian countries, we recently analyzed legislation and it's even seen as a a weak point of legislation where there is no very strict definition of what um, kind of sectors can um, be used for PPPs. So there is this, because PPP legislation in many of those countries is more advanced, more comfortable to 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 apply than the public procurement one, so very often there is the tendency to uh, to use PPP for any kind of interaction between public and private, even if there is no obvious case of the public responsibility to the uh, to the population for a certain service. <laughs> Things like uh, public baths or uh, gas stations, which are could be t- totally private sector. Um, projects, but sometimes PPP, PPPs are used for those, um, it's a, and it's a very interesting, debatable point whether this spread of PPP as a, as a contractual vehicle for mm-hmm. uh, contracts is good, or, or it should be rather limited to uh, areas where the government is responsible for public infrastructure.
0: And, you know, it's very important, isn't it, because I think we, um, all of us, have Um, witnessed uh not just ppp projects but but flagship projects that have failed to deliver one way or another okay so that kind of haunts us and i think sometimes that um the the popular press has focused on the um on the on the ppp the vehicle rather than actually asking the fundamental questions about the project it was you know it, it, it may have always been you know challenging to deliver regardless of the way in which it was brought together and it tends to be ppp as a vehicle like oh well you know this ppp project didn't deliver therefore all you know can't deliver and so on and of course it's much easier to talk about Challenges than it is to celebrate um, successes. So I totally agree with that. Thank you very much indeed, panel. And what a great question um, as well uh, to have put to us. So let's head over to social, if we can, then, and um, see who else we can welcome um, into uh the event today from the audience um i know that we've got quite a lot of folks from around the world Um salia uh, great to see you online uh from sri lanka so lovely to have you with us um actually today must be evening time i guess uh, for you by now so thank you for giving up some of your friday evening it's really brilliant to have you online And um, moving on, let's look at uh, Wondemo, who is a regular contributor, of course, um, in the audience. So we'll look forward to some questions coming in from Wondemo, hopefully, um, in the next few minutes. Um, Good to have you uh, joining us from Ethiopia and uh, Gabriel um, as well. Uh, Gabriel Menken, I think it is. Uh, Sorry, Mankiti. I couldn't quite read your name. Had to really focus there for a moment. Maybe I'm due back at the opticians very soon. There's a thought, isn't there? Okay, excellent. Thank you very much indeed. Let's move on, Charlotte. If we can, we'll take our next question.
4: Thanks, Nick. And I'm hoping this doesn't surprise the panel uh, too much this time. Um, It is a live question that's been um, submitted by one of our live viewers, Hamid Awad how do you enforce the alignment of the ppp projects with the public interest and benefit especially in low income p-
0: countries all right so um i think this this is about bring let's make sure that we're heading out in the right direction here now this is a key role for advisors isn't it to try and bring these different um stakeholder requirements together early on and keep everybody kind of focused on the right sort of outcome. Um, Abaya, your thoughts, and then we'll hear from amandi
5: I think the first thing is to kind of uh, really articulate uh, what are the alignments, what are the public interest and benefit, how to measure them, and, uh, and who will measure them. And if it is independent measurement, which is credible, even better. And then uh, many low-income countries, etc., I think the enforcement is a problem, uh, even if they are not achieving the interest mm-hmm. and benefit for which the project was given. So enforcement will also be very important. However, uh, the important point is that articulation and then measurement.
0: Thank you very much indeed. And amandeep your thoughts?
3: Yeah, so absolutely. So you know, PPP is about, you know, it is not only to just develop infrastructure services, it's about looking at the benefits, what it it achieves uh, for the public or the public interest. So that's where, especially where the projects are supported by the multilateral Development Bank or the IFIs, uh, the community engagement, the stakeholder consultation is a very, very key pillar of developing a PPP uh, right from beginning, uh, uh, you know, doing the, the business case. So you have to identify who are the stakeholders, who are the including the community. Earlier it was only left to the few major stakeholders, but now the things are boiling down to the going to the community level and that too, repetitively. At each stage you you have a kind of a pre-feasibility go there. That okay we are going to do this project. What are your interests? Whether these this this can be incorporated into when you final structure it go back again. So it is not a one time job go back again and before going to uh, you know to the procurement again uh, go again so it's a, it iterative process which is being uh advocated by the MDBs. Uh, that's where the public interest and benefits which is going to the grassroots level uh how the ppp can help that that's where we call it pro pp pro people ppp yeah so so that that's very important uh, for example we were talking about the health services or health ppp project mm. whether it's a hospital now, one way of doing the PPP is keep the, you know, all the procedure fee at a market level. So allow private sector to, you know, whatever the fee charges for the, any, any kind of procedure, whether it's a cardiac uh, procedure or uh, any neurology procedure, etc. Another way is you are going to benefit to the poor people of your country. So fix the prices. And then structure the project in a way that the private sector also earns it or have a better, a good return uh, from the projects. That's where you can, uh, you know, serve the public. Diagnostic center, radiology diagnostic centers, everywhere in the developing countries, it's, there's a big hand and glow between the doctors and uh, diagnostic centers, 40 to 60% cut, which is uh, going to a doctors who is suffering, the normal poor patient. So if you can do PPP in a such a fashion that, okay, that create a volume game for the private sector and then fix the price, the floor of the services for the public that benefits the public and then accordingly do the PPP in a better fashion. There's, there where different ways to look at, watch out the public interest.
0: I, I think that's so important. And that volume you know, consideration is, is critical, um, especially in healthcare. When we look at the cost, at the point of use, for even basic medications, they vary so much in different countries, and so much of that is to do with this volume approach. If you take a a national approach, if you take a volume purchasing approach, then you're able to um, deliver a greater degree of affordability, um, you know, whilst you have. At the same time, the private sector actually working and, and being profitable as part of that ecosystem. Um, what I'd like to do, I'd like to bring in um, Sergei, if I can, um, T D at this point, and hear from him, and then we'll hear from Nian Nansi.
2: Yeah, just uh, as a brief comment, to, just to pick up on um, one specific word that um, um, uh, Amandeep used, uh, the, bus- the business case is, indeed, the alignment with, um, public interest and benefit uh, could be captured very should be captured very early in the development of the project. And um, uh, the culture, the structure of a good business case uh, starts with a strategic business case before it goes to one of the five business cases. Before you go to the economic, financial, management one, and so on. It all starts at the project identification and screening stage. Uh, with making sure that the project is aligned with the interest of this of this public, and it's environmentally friendly, meets the ESG criteria, and so on, and actually a lot of it is captured in the APMG's uh, certified PPP professional uh, credential, but there's also a new one on uh, infrastructure uh, business cases, which stems from the UK experience and five business cases that all of the Major projects in the UK are being developed, so that's um, also a good framework to consider if uh, you want to make sure that you capture this uh, aspect without fail.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. We'll try and get those links out and available, and uh, make sure that they're posted into the social chat for people to be able to pick up. And um, Niranjan, final thoughts on this question, please.
1: Okay, so this takes us to uh, contract management uh, because I think um, when you're developing, you know, at the transaction stage, when you're developing all the business case and defining uh, expectations and making sure you're going to meet those expectations, at the contract management stage is where you know the word enforce comes to play. So the question is around enforcing the alignment because you can have a very well defined um, uh, plan. To make, to make sure you align with public interest, but at contract management, it's not, it's not aligned. How are you going to enforce that? And so that's the value is because for low-income economies, um, institutions have to be ready to meet expectations. And so not just the um, procuring authority, but also other institutions in the country that are responsible for either enforcing alignment or legal issues. So your, framework. What happens in a PPP? All the institutions can live up to expectation. And for answer the question, um, um, sustainable public investment. The public authorities plan for long term, and not annual.
0: Okay. All right. So I think we've got a, a uh, few little connections and a gremlins coming in from uh, Nienzo. So just while he. Uh, Sorts that out and reconnects into the session um, i'm going to pick up a couple of those things because I think the um, the legal frameworks have developed a great deal now in many countries, and you you're having now a um, uh, a com- more comprehensive set of rules um, that are being brought in by uh, legisl- legislators in each country in order to ensure if you like guarantee underwrite in some fashion uh compliance all right around the delivery of these kinds of you know usually quite big ticket um projects um is there a risk panel that as parliaments around the world as governments around the world bring in local legislation that that provides an unlevel playing field and that in fact some countries have a um, statutory framework which is uh, actually very different to others so somehow instead of there being a common standard there is a common standard with a high degree of localization is that something that worries you or or is that something that's just normal to be expected and uh, you know that you navigate your way uh, around any thoughts
5: Um, Abea? yeah so there are you know two, three parts of the question. First is that if there is a law passed by the Parliament and it has it is not a level playing field for everybody, I think foreign investors will stay away. <clears throat> mm. So it's not mm. a win-win game and competition will be less less expertise. But the second question is, is uh, law necessary? So if you see two countries, I will not name them, who were the first to come out with the BoT law, and um, they did not do too great. And in fact, many of the countries who are doing good in PPPs, they don't have any law. So frankly, you don't need law. You need a good policy and you need good practice. Uh, third thing is in terms of, uh, you know, investors, local investors versus foreign investors. I think the more important thing is not law, but many unforeseen or uh, jerky reaction by the government uh, in against the foreign investments. and. That includes appropriation, nationalization, et cetera, which is really uh, the killer of the future infrastructure stream for that country.
0: Thank you so much indeed. It's a really good answer there. And I love that quote. I just made a note of it. You know, that we don't necessarily need new laws. What we do what we do need is better practice. Okay. And, you know, this this kind of almost, if I can say, this um building a culture of excellence around public-private partnership is really you know what it's all about and helping people deliver on those promises and remembering you know those promises beyond the present moment um, is such an important part um and uh, vj makes a really good point actually um over in the chat that you have to take a longer term view that you have to bring in You know, this consistency of thought to provide that longer term concession um, is so important. Investor confidence when the ROI is going to be measured over many years is such an important part. So governments flip flopping and changing their mind too frequently is not helpful in these circumstances where you take many months of careful consideration before the planning, before the building of the relationships, before the you know, building of the contract and then the delivery. Um, that time period is usually much longer than your average politician's period in power. So you need that consistency, all right? Whichever flavor of politics you come from, from your country's perspective and your citizens' perspective, you need that continuity, I would say. All right, very good. Excellent. Thank you very much, and thank you, Vijay. Uh, really good point. Very well made. Um, let's move on, Charlotte, if we can, and we'll take our next question, please.
4: Thanks, Nick. We've actually got another live question from a viewer that you mentioned earlier on, Wanda Mayo. Although they, oh, there they... Sorry, put my teeth in. Although they are public-private partnership frameworks available what is the success of their implementation
0: well this is going to be one of those it depends it depends kind of answers <laughs> for demo all right so <laughs> we have got lots of people nodding um, kind of in the panel i think i think we we genuinely have the the good the bad are there any ugly ppps i don't know there's definitely there's definitely they're all on a spectrum somewhere amandeep start us off and then we'll hear from abeya
3: yeah, thanks. I, I'll start with, so see, the PPP is not bad. How PPP is implemented, that's a questionable, right? So frameworks could be there. There are very good laws, very good frameworks are there, right? But if those are not in practice, uh, then, you know, the success could not be there. As Abeya gave the example, there are countries who don't have law at the national level or the central level, for example, India. India don't have a law at the national federal level. It has law at the state levels. But at federal level, it doesn't have law, but the guidelines, the practice, so it does well in PPPs. The country countries who have very, very specific laws, uh, regulation that they are not doing well in PPP. It's a question of practice and intention. As I at least early said that, okay, so PPP is again not a miracle. You need to be very, very careful, do every step very rightfully, only then it can bring you success. Otherwise, it can be a counterproductive.
0: Okay, thank you very much indeed. Really strong point, very well made indeed. Um, Abey your thoughts?
5: Yeah, I think frameworks are not law. So frameworks is basically a, a kind of guidebook um, and it's good to know. So always knowledge and science is important along with the practice. If you know, if you uh, follow consciously, I think you are likely to do a better job than without knowing about it. So frameworks are important and the following framework is equally or more important.
0: Thank you very much indeed. Um, I think certainly legislation is rather like standards, you know, that it will always lag behind the present moment. It takes time to formulate, it takes time for um, the civil service in each country to be able to do the research and ensure that new legislation doesn't contradict previous legislation or break international law or, you know, whatever it happens to be. And so by the time that it becomes effective, um, often the situation has evolved. And so I agree with you there that often frameworks which have a degree of wiggle room in them and flexibility and the principles of good practice are a better direction of travel if you're going to be able as a nation to commission in a more agile fashion. And I use agility there in the sense of being able to work within the moment. Um, Abaya, final thoughts on this?
5: Yeah. So I also want to give one example is law is something where you say, you know, if I'm not going to behave, I will shoot myself. That's not the way. I mean, and, and the problem is the laws are so rigid. And when they are made, everybody wants to make it even more rigid because they have, you know, all kind of yeah. vicarious ideas. So by the time it comes out, uh, it has no flexibility, as you rightly should.
0: Okay. Okay. Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, Indeed. Well, um, I think we're heading towards a close. So, um, Charlotte, I think we've got time for one more question um, to the panel. If you can um, find one for us, that would be great.
4: Um, Thanks, Nick. So, we've got a question from Irene that's just disappeared. I will be two ticks. I'm so sorry.
0: That's all right. No problem at all. So I know that we've got quite a stack of questions. So while we're waiting for that one to be brought back in again, if you have submitted a question and we don't get to it today, don't worry. We will roll those questions over into a future PPP event. So um, uh, so don't worry too much. Uh, now I can see it on the screen, Charlotte.
4: Thank you, next. So a question from Irene. Are there courses or subject areas that could be beneficial to learn before embarking on being on a public-private partnership certification program?
0: All right, so this this is going to be a lot, really, isn't it? What what do you look for? Because many of you are coaching and teaching colleagues as well. You're mentoring others and so on. What are you looking for as those prerequisites, almost? You know, the competencies, competencies, capabilities, you know, of individuals who, you know, are embarking on this study journey, even before they, you know, jump into the CP3P certification programs. Ian, answer.
1: Okay. So the first thing is, is interest. So if you just have the interest, we've had people with a background in uh, botany. Uh, we've had a, an HR manager with background in human resources that did very well and passed all the courses. The is now a CP3P certified. And so um, we've not, I mean, we've jettisoned the idea of, oh, you have to read a particular course in the university or a polytechnic. But your first background is interest. If you have the interest, and you have the basic education uh, that allows you to understand the technical issues, legal issues, financial issues, then you can be in that class. Uh, Because uh, we've been proven wrong a number of times where somebody that has studied political science is now an expert in PPP. And so, um, yeah, it, it doesn't have to be a very special area for you to join the certification program. You just need to have the interest and the basic background education. Thank you.
0: It's so important, isn't it, to, to, you know, engage people with this passion, all right, and this desire to make a contribution. Um, you, it's really hard to train attitude. <laughs> you, you can train knowledge, all right, but you can't necessarily train attitude. And if people bring the right attitude to bear, make a huge difference. So, Kate, okay, what do you look for um, in colleagues who can really build successful careers in this space? well speaking
2: of the certification program there is no formal prerequisite you don't have to have a university degree or a degree in management but from all the experience when we saw uh, first of all i would say the specific category of educational background but that constantly do really well at those programs i'd say it's engineers uh maybe there is something driving Interest and aptitude not, not specific to PPPs, but these are the people from my experience who really read the the book who, who prepare questions, they interrogate the trainer um, um, probably a very good sort of logical apply, applying of critical logic um, background, but the one area mm-hmm. on the on, from the other perspective, which probably uh, any participant could do with some background, I would say is finance. Because there is um, a, an important aspect of the, of the curriculum is project finance. And um, though the guide does give you a very brief introduction into what the discounted uh, uh, idea of uh, um, cash flow discounting is, but it would be good if, if you had a, a basic course in finance or corporate finance and you're f- comfortable with those concepts. That would really help.
0: I I certainly agree there. I I think it's an area that you're less likely to have come across in your career unless you set out to do so, if that makes sense. So becoming more familiar with finance is a key enabler um, for people. So if your career so far has been in that space, then you are well-placed, of course, to proceed. But if it hasn't, having at least an empathy and an understanding of, that's going to set you in good stance. Yes, really good point. Thank you very much, um, sergey Appreciate that. Um, Abea, final thoughts on this?
5: Yeah, I, I just want to remind everybody that the beginning of PPP was when contractors ran out of money and they wanted existing projects to be paid over a period of time. So the question, the point he made was that engineers make good uh, you know, PPP specialist is also because if you essentially see the project remains the same, it's only financial model and mode of payment to contractors change and uh, and so the next comes the finance so technical and particularly you know people who build plants um, linear infrastructure etc they remain at advantage
0: Thank you very much indeed. Excellent. Well, look, um, the hour flies by really quickly um, when we're in the middle of of this kind of thing. So thank you very much indeed um, to everybody. Uh, Let's take closing remarks from the panel. So um, Abay, if you can start us off and then we'll hear from Amandeep.
5: Yeah, I think PPP is a very interesting area. And if you want to become PPP specialist, uh, do go through APMG course because that's the only course where you have Scientifically available data, information, and the uh, theories. Uh, you can also be simultaneously be trying uh, to be a part of PPP uh, team. And above all, I think uh, in in a PPP group, you have to manage so many stakeholders. So learn to manage people and be leader.
0: Mm. Thank you very much, Dean. Thank you, by the way, for the um, shout-out uh, for the CP3P qualification suite. Um, uh, I would have to agree with you there, but then I, I am kind of sitting um, where I'm sitting. Uh, very good, uh, Amadeep. And then let's hear from Sergey.
3: Yeah, so just for the audience so who wanted to become PBB, uh, this is a very, very interesting subject. Interesting in the sense that you will you will not get bored uh while doing this kind of a job whether it's even in the same sector even the same type of project so different projects are different challenges that is one perspective and definitely if you are starting into this space do cp3p course because that's give the a very uh, broader level and uh, standardized knowledge because there are many many misconceptions in different parts of the world about ppp with different uh, you know definitions and other things that's always a better to have a standardized knowledge and just keep interest. It's a passion, as Nicola said, it's a passion. If you have passion into infrastructure or public services, uh, you slowly grow up and understand the thing. And And believe me, it's a very, very interesting job.
0: Thank you. I, it, it, it really does come across as well. And I, and I think you know the whole panel here today are exemplars for, of people who have found their passion in life. And when your work is your passion, it it's somehow no longer just work any longer, all right? It makes a big difference. So thank you very much indeed, Amandeep. Um, Sergei, your thoughts, and uh, then we'll hear from Nian Anse.
2: Um, thank you. I, I totally would echo what um, Amhaya and, and Amandeep said. It is a, PPPs is an area that generates passion in, uh, in people who deal with it. I really love the complexity. It's like a chess game. It's so many different interfaces, stakeholders, projects are long, complicated, and there is no right solution, you you try to achieve the optimal balance uh, that would suit the project, different parties. And I certainly uh, would uh, also join the advice to take the, the certified course, and I would add to it that uh, even if you are fully certified PPP professional, you you are not done learning. I mean stuff on ppps almost every day you have new new documents new regulations uh, new amazing projects to new instruments so i would say this community aspect is quite important stay connected with professionals share your your perspectives every class we teach uh, every participant of the course is someone who contributes they if if they develop projects if they consult projects we are very eager to listen from them so it's a very much Two way road, and um, welcome to the club if you're not in it yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. And um, th- that is what is fascinating. It is, it's, I, I think you would not be involved in this if you didn't care and you weren't passionate about solving problems and r- solving real problems and leaving a legacy which is beyond. present moment you know the people who set out i always think about um you know the, the folks that decided that they were going to plant an arboretum they would never in their lifetime they will never see the trees mature from the saplings through to um you know provide the canopy that they had imagined but they do it and they do it because of that legacy concept, you know, and it's such a fascinating area working in PPPs because the legacy of your work will live way beyond our lifetimes and affect, you know, such a large number of lives around the world. So thank you very much indeed. I agree with that, um, Sergei. Excellent answer. Nianato, uh, final thoughts, please. And then we'll hear from Charlotte.
1: Okay, so uh, becoming a PPP uh, specialist, uh, the barriers have been lowered you know, in the recent times because of technology. So uh, one, you can get the materials from the APMG certification program. Uh, they, are, they are freely available, so you can actually you know, get the materials and go through them. Uh, two, you can also join online courses um, and also learn you know, to become a specialist, uh, and you can get your certification as well. But more importantly, practice. You must put what you've learned in practice. Practice, 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 because no two projects are the same. They're always very unique. And that's interesting part of PPPs. When you're applying, you learn new things and you keep applying and you keep improving yourself. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you so much. Um, Excellent advice there. And if you've not done so already, do visit the APMG International website. You'll see the event page listed. And there's a little link um, for each of the panellists that takes you to their LinkedIn profile. So if you're watching on LinkedIn today and you want to connect with the panellists, then um, by all means, on professional Basis, please don't try and sell them anything, but on a professional basis, do connect with them and with myself, all right, on LinkedIn. We're always happy, you know, to, uh, to accept that kind of connection, all right, and um, we'll do what we can uh, to help you on your journey. Um, Charlotte, final thoughts on today's episode?
4: Thanks, Nick, and thank you to our panel and to our live viewers for all the excellent questions and excellent answers, information that's been provided through today's show.
0: Absolutely right. Um, It has been truly amazing. Uh, Thank you very much indeed, um, panel. I will echo that as well. Thank you to our producers who are over online, of course. Very good. Well, um, let's uh, kind of move on now over on the APMG website. Um, you can find um, answers to more than 1,500 questions. It's a very much a comprehensive resource. It's totally free, and it connects you, as I mentioned, with 170 experts around the world. We're now, we're approaching very shortly, I think, around 13,000 people who have taken the CP3P qualification. So if you're one of those, it would be great to have a bit of a shout-out from you um, uh, to share uh, like, share and subscribe, please, uh, to the video that we host on our YouTube channel, because it will help other people who are earlier in their career journey, you know, to discover this content and get on board with it. So please do take a moment to do that. It doesn't cost you anything. And of course, um, it really will help out the channel and help other people find us. Um, Looking forward on Monday, the 20th of March, we're going to be looking at how to become a change leader. Now, we often talk about managing change, but how do you actually lead change and lead organisations through a change process? And is leadership even something that you want to do? Not everybody does, of course, um, want that kind of role, but sometimes in our careers, We're not expecting to lead something, and then we need to. So it's a really good one to tune into. Um, That starts at 8 o'clock GMT UK time um, on Monday the 20th of March. Uh, For those of you who are in the US and you've already changed your uh, time zone, then um, actually it's a little friendlier time for you, but it's still nighttime I guess anyway moving on um, next Friday on the 24th we're going to be looking at the project management office specialist role so uh, PMOs do amazing work around the world at building that competency and capability and getting things done in a timely fashion and you know actually delivering on the promises that are made so a really good one to um, tune in for um, so we'll look forward to both of those episodes next week subscribe to the show. And we'll send you a personal summary, of course, of what's coming up and how you too can join us here on the panel and level up your career with APMG. Thanks very much, everybody. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Bye-bye now.